But the Scripture also tells us that Jesus would baptize us with the Holy Spirit. We don't see that one. It's by faith that we believe because we accepted the Lord Jesus Christ and the gift of the Holy Spirit is given unto us. The third one, what we don't see is that the Holy Spirit takes that believer and places them in the body of Christ or in the church and understand synonymously the body of Christ and the church is the same thing. Same thing. And that we are then placed in that body of Christ. It is the evidence also of who's in control. Because you can't place yourself there. You can't put yourself there. It has to be the person of the Holy Spirit that does that work in our life. Oftentimes, we're troubled. It is surprising because by habit, we have become a people that we just go wherever we want to go based on what we feel. And you can't stop people from feeling the way that they feel. But the question always has to be asked. And this is one that I've come to a long time ago, just because of pastoring. <laughs> Two of the pastors that were sitting there, one has just lost his church. The other one was in the midst of church to see if the church was going to call him, and it's a split church right now. And he won't get in the middle of their messes, he says. But the, the thing is, He's kind of sitting, he's kind of sitting, and the one said, you know, to deal with a congregation is a mess. Well, to deal with pastors is a mess. Why? We are a bunch of messed up people, from pastor all the way down through, that the Holy Spirit is working in. Now, the Holy Ghost is the life of the church. He is the one who gives life. And that's why he is also called the spirit of life. And constituting and sustaining the union. Now, there's many words here that we're going to use sometime. Whether it be baptism, union, joined, united, all meaning the same thing to Jesus Christ. To Jesus Christ. He sustains its union with Christ. He is the living head of the church, which is the body. The union must be vital. The work must be divine. It must be a godly work. 
It must be something that is beyond man to do. And therefore, it is a godly work that I am taken and placed in the body of Christ into his living church. It is a godly work. Just because you may join a physical church or organization does not mean that you have been added to the body of Christ. And oftentimes we get that mixed up because just because we join a physical church, we're saved and everything else. No. Good starting point. Hopefully we're going to learn and grow and understand more. But just joining a church does not connect you to the body of Christ or connect you to what is called the universal church, the church worldwide, or the so-called Catholic church, which Catholic meaning simply universal. The union must be vital. It's the work must be of divine work. It is called baptism. Baptism. The word expresses the deep truth of death and resurrection. That's why in Romans 6, it talks about the death and resurrection. And the water, as you're going down, you're dying to self and coming up in a resurrected life, in a new life. It has to be understood of a death and a resurrection. The resurrection is the life of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ that we become incorporated into his glorious body and united with his life as the great head of the church. A.B. Simpson. If you never read Simpson and his work on the Holy Spirit, I would suggest it to you that you read it. A.B. Simpson. He had read at many seminaries, especially those of the holiness persuasion and the Pentecostal persuasion. He has read even more so than what is being read in the CMA itself. Turn with me, if you would, please, to Matthew 20. I'm sorry, John. Yeah, Matthew 20. And what I want you to hear is the question that is put to the two brothers, can you be baptized with the baptism that I'm going to be baptized with? And again, being baptized, is, is the simple way of saying baptism is to be put into something. And Jesus is going to be, in a sense, put into what is he put into? He's put into his suffering. He is put into this thing, death by the cross. Some people struggle and we see his flesh struggling in the Garden of Gethsemane. Not my will, but your will be done. A surrendering to God. 
and yet taking that other step of going to the cross and then the grave. And the whole issue that really boils down here is, boy, would we be willing to do that? So in verse 22, he says, you don't know what you are asking. And one is asking to sit on the left hand. The other one's asking to sit on the right hand. He said, you guys really don't know what you're asking. Jesus said to them, can you drink the cup I'm going to drink? Can you go through what I'm going to have to go through? Can you suffer what I'm going to have to suffer? Can you do that? And the answer come back, we can, not even knowing what all Jesus was going to suffer. Foolish answers, and sometimes we do answer foolish because what? We don't know what we're really talking about. They say yes because one wants the right side and one wants the left side. And sometimes just to give what we want, we say yes, not understanding the cost of it. (laughs) We can, they answered. And Jesus said to them, you will indeed drink from my cup, but to sit at my right hand or left is not for me to grant is not for me to grant. These place belong to those whom they have been prepared by my Father. Can you drink this cup? Can you be baptized with the baptism that I'm going to be baptized with? Can you withstand and hold up in what I'm going to be put into? Can you? And the whole process is that we're going to suffer. And will he still be Lord? Will you still love him? Will you serve him in your pain? Will you serve him in your anguish? Will you serve him in your disappointments? Will you serve him? Now, why is it important for us that Jesus would be removed from his disciples? Have you ever asked yourself that question? Go over to John 16. And he's going to say to his disciples in that verse 7, But I tell you the truth, it is for your good that I am going away. Come back down to verse 5 with me a little bit. Now I am going to him who sent me. 
So he's making that part very clear. The one who sent me, I'm going back to him. Yet none of you ask me, where are you going? Now understand in their minds why he is speaking, I'm going back to the one who sent me. Approximately how old is he? Number one, 32, 33. And some of them may be older than who? Than he is. It's like a 33-year-old trying to explain to us that they're going to maybe die before this 50 or 60-year-old. We don't understand that because sometimes we think death only comes to old folks. And he says to them, None of you ask me, where are you going? Well, he already told them where he's going, back to the one who sent him. Because I have said these things, now, now, now look what he sees on their face and knows in their heart. You are filled with grief. Now the question I would ask you is why are they filled with grief? In one sense, they've been with somebody who has helped feed them, take care of them. They've seen miracles. They have been with somebody that nobody else has ever seen do what he does. And now he's talking about he's going to leave us? That's like some of King James' friends or... James, the basketball player, and it is known that a lot of his friends that he was with in high school now works in his organization. What would they say or what might expressions they would have if James stepped in one day and said, I'm getting a whole new staff. How am I going to pay for this home? How am I going to do this? How am I going to do that? Because James takes very good care of them. And the disciples have been taken care of. And all that was there was grief. That you're going to leave us. But it goes on and it says, but I tell you the truth. Now here's the truth of this thing. This is why I'm leaving. It is for your good. Now imagine they're scratching their head and saying, how can this be for my good? How's this going to be helpful to me? Who's going to do for us what you have been doing for us for the last three years? Who else is going to step in and take your place? When we had... No bread to feed the folks, but just five little fishes. And yet you multiplied it and we fed over 5,000 people. Who's going to take your place? When we didn't have money to pay the taxes, you sent me down to the lake and said, get a fish and pull the coin out of the fish's mouth and go pay our taxes. Who else is going to take care of us? 
who else is going to minister to us? And he says, I'm going away for your good. And, and the thing is, figure out how is it for their good? Unless I go away, the counselor will not come. That's one. You must understand, unless I go away, the counselor won't come. The Holy Spirit won't come. Unless I leave. And he just goes on. Boy, how's this for our good? The counselor won't come. He's not coming. What else? He will convict the world of sin. The the world will not be convicted of sin. Guess what? I'm limited only to this radius of miles that I travel and I go. I'm limited, but he's not limited. He can be in America, Japan, Europe. He can be all over. Same time. But I can only be here in Jerusalem or Galilee or in Samaria. I'm limited because of this body that I'm in. I'm limited because I laid down all my authority and power and I trusted in the Holy Spirit to work through me the miracles and all that I'm doing. I'm trusting the Holy Spirit because I do not use my authority. I do not use my power. I laid it all down that I might be an example to you how to live for God. He will convict the world of guilt. The spirit of truth, he will guide you into all truth. I can't guide all the people into all truth. I can't get to all of the people in this body form. I'm limited. Now what happens at Pentecost that is not mentioned to the disciples? What happens at Pentecost that is not mentioned to the disciples? That's a question that has to be asked. Because something takes place. Because here, the Lord speaks about the Holy Spirit and his coming and some of what he's going to do. He didn't give them a detailed thing, but much more is going to happen when the Holy Spirit comes. And at Pentecost, the Holy Spirit comes. Why? He was promised to come. He is that gift given to the church through Jesus Christ. He is that one that is promised that Jesus himself, he would baptize with the Holy Spirit. Now, he didn't do it during his lifely ministry. He did not do it until after he came forth from the grave. And Scripture tells us, as we looked last week, Jesus baptized no one. Not one person. Why? His baptism was different than John the Baptist's. 
John the Baptist was with water. His is with the Holy Spirit. Totally different. But two baptisms. Now, what is it that Jesus could not do with his disciples being in body form? That the Spirit is able to do with them different than what he himself could do. This we know. The church is not here. As long as Jesus was in body form, there was no church. There was no church. As long as Jesus was in body form. We need to understand that. That's why the birth of the church is stated at Pentecost. Because it was not prior to. But took place at Pentecost. And who brings in that church? The Holy Spirit. Secondly, there is no true unity of the believers while Jesus is here. There's no true unity. Everybody was for themselves in a sense. We don't read about the disciples giving up their home, selling this, selling that, until after the filling of the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit has come. There is no true unity. There's still individuality. In the church, in the body of Christ, through the power of the Holy Spirit, we drop all our ethnic groupings. And we all become one blood through Jesus Christ. We become brothers and sisters even though you may not be my biological brother or my biological sister, you become part of my family because of the body of Christ. You are my sister. You are my brother because of Jesus Christ alone. There is no body. In the New Testament, you heard nothing about church, per se, other than Jesus saying, I'm going to build my church. You hear absolutely really nothing about the body of Christ, because the body of Christ and the church are the same thing, but they are used in different terminology to show us the body is going to show us how we function together. And we need the body because that's how we learn from one another. And believe it or not, we first practice our Christianity on each other before we take it outside. As old Pentecost said, and one of his disciples down at Dallas Theological Seminary, don't export what you have in yourself used. 
that you knew it, and you know the real reality of it. Those two things were not spoken of in the New Testament, in the Gospels, but they are spoken of from Acts on. The church and the body of Christ. Now, don't want to go backwards. There is no engrafting into him while he is in the body. There is no intimate joining to Jesus Christ while he is in the body. You really don't hear about the church becoming the bride until after the Holy Spirit comes. Not in the gospel. But afterwards. And I like the way Simpson somewhat forms this. Simpson says, the Holy Spirit comes and he takes that from Christ, which Christ himself now has won through the shedding of his blood. He takes them and he calls them to himself. He sanctifies them. Then he engrafts them back into Christ or into the body of Christ that they might become the bride of Christ. But there is that work of the Holy Spirit taking those who are saved by the blood of Christ, sanctifying them, purifying them, putting them back then into the body of Christ, and making them the bride of Christ. That is something. That is something. Now, I don't know if my battery went dead or if it's still there. But there's that engrafting. Uh, some, of them, some people can engraft a plant. Can take it and tape it and put it on and a tree or whatever they can engraft. Nowhere in Scripture do we have where Christ would engraft you into himself. That is a work of the Holy Spirit. Doing that engrafting, doing that joining, doing that baptism of putting you in. That is a work of the Holy Spirit. Not of Christ. Christ's work was to save you. To become the atonement for you. To make it possible that you could be saved. But the working out of that salvation becomes the work of the Holy Spirit. Working in your life and my life. Nowhere is it stated that Jesus himself would baptize anyone into his body. The result of the Holy Spirit coming is the beginning of the church and the body of Christ at Pentecost. Neither is the Holy Spirit the body. Nowhere in Scripture do we find anything of the Holy Spirit being the body or being the church. But he is that administrator of those gifts and the teacher 
of the word of God. He is the one who ministers to us and counsels with us and guides us. He is the administrator of the body. But Jesus Christ is the head of the body. Nowhere is it ever stated that Jesus himself would baptize anyone into his body or place anyone into his church, per se. The result of the Holy Spirit coming is the beginning of the church and the body of Christ. And neither is the Holy Spirit the body of Christ, but he is the one who places us in the person or in that body or in that church of the Lord Jesus Christ. Go with me to Galatians 3:27. Either we have a word misplaced or it's totally true. In 27, Galatians 3 and verse 27, for all of you who were baptized into. Again, just the word baptized in itself means to be put into something, submerged into something. And Paul uses this word here saying that you've been baptized into Christ. You've been baptized into his church. You've been placed there. You just didn't jump in. Like some people say, they can jump in, jump out, jump in, jump out. No, if you're in, you're in. If you're out, you're out. And he says, boy, for all of you, don't matter if you're Greek, don't matter if you're Roman. Don't matter if you're this or that or what you were prior to. You may have been a homosexual. You may have been a lesbian. You may have been this or that. But when you accepted the Lord Jesus Christ, you were baptized into Christ. Now, This is something that happens simultaneously. And I have a note in here. Scripture doesn't say how. I know this surgeon. Yes, he can take my heart out and put another heart in. But if you ask me how he does that, I don't know. I just know he has the skills, the capability, the knowledge to do it. But you go down to Children's Hospital, and I think you really understand this one, that when they graft skin, they're hoping it will take. (laughs) That's why sometimes there's so many skin graftings that have to be done. Because they're hoping it will take. Because it's something foreign to your body. 
how that works, they really don't know. Now, they know about the sales. They know about this and that. But they really don't know. And they'll tell you, we're hoping it's going to take. They know how to do it to a certain point, but they really don't know how it works. And that's the thing with the baptism of the Holy Spirit. We know, but yet so much we don't know. We don't know how Jesus puts the Holy Spirit in us. When I was first saved, as that Billy Graham's crusade back in 72, Elaine and I went up. I went down there the first night. And they called. I went down the second night. And the same guy that saw me on the first night saw me on the third night. And he come on, what are you doing back down here? I said, I'm waiting for something to come in here. I hadn't felt anything. Hadn't nothing been cut. Hadn't nothing been slipped in. It wasn't until Cecil Inman told me, Gus, it's by faith. You start living. You start talking with the Lord. He's in there, but it's by faith. By faith, I believe God has put his spirit in me. It is by faith, I believe, the Spirit takes me and places me in the body of Christ. I don't know how it happens or how it really works other than I know this. I didn't jump in there. And I didn't go out somewhere and buy the Holy Spirit. But the Word tells me He's there. And the word tells me I'm in the body of Christ. I'm in his church. And I believe it by faith. That I'm there. And he says, for you all, for you are all baptized into Christ. For all of you. Now imagine they're scratching their head and they're saying, what is he talking about? But it's by faith. You don't see it. But what you do see is the evidence of it. You see the evidence of it in a person's life. You see the effects of the Holy Spirit living in a person's life as they struggle with their sin, as they confess their sin, as they let go of certain practices in life, as you see a change that takes place in life. Then you you begin to see that this is only the work of the Holy Spirit, not man just trying to transform himself. Huge difference. Go to 1 Corinthians with me, chapter 6. I think you will catch the picture without me getting too graphic in verses 16 and 17. 
in verse 16. Do you not know that he who unites himself with a prostitute is one with her body? Now, how do you become one with a body? I don't think I have to get too graphic. But he says they become one. He uses that illustration that they become one. For it is said, the two will become what? One flesh. He goes on, he says, but he who unites himself with the Lord is one with him in spirit. We are one. Who has engrafted you in? Who has united you with the Lord? Who has joined you with the Lord? Who has baptized you in the Lord? Who's put you in there? You or the Holy Spirit? If it's your intellect that put you there, then you're not saved. But if this the work of the Holy Spirit, then you know it's beyond yourself that you are truly saved because you truly are the workmanship of God. Ephesians 5, verses 30 and 32. Ephesians 5. And the church has to remind itself that this is not a work of man. And somehow we've come to a place to think that salvation is a work of man. And it is totally a work of the Holy Spirit. It is a work of the Lord Jesus Christ. It is a work of the Heavenly Father. It is the work of a triune God. And in Ephesians 5, 30-32, now, the verse I really want you to catch is verse 32, but let's start at verse 30. He says, let me get my eyes focused, for we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife. Again, talking about the two of them becoming what? One. He's using this as an illustration in this area. And he goes back and he says, and the two will become what? One flesh. Husbands and wives need to understand that today. They are one, not two. They're one. As I was sharing with pastor who said I have more love for the Lord than my wife and and no God called one it didn't call you called her too and I shared with him she might feel left out because you really haven't shared your vision of what you believe God has called you to do. 
So you're going this way, and she's going this way. And God does not bring us or call us to separate us. He doesn't call us to separate us. He called you to be one. And you're both in the ministry under the authority of the Holy Spirit as God leads. She has her role to play in the ministry. You have your role to play in the ministry. Because God has called you both. But the way you're going, it won't be long. She will just walk on off. Because she's going to feel totally left out. And God has called you both. And he goes on and he says in that, he says, for this reason a man leaves his father and mother and be united to his wife. And the two will become what? Again, one flesh. Now, look look what he says in 32. This is a profound mystery. We don't understand it. But we become one. I don't know how that really works because he said it's a mystery. But we become one. But I am talking about the mystery. But I am talking about Christ and the church. What is he talking about? Christ and his church and us becoming one with who? With him. That's a mystery. Uh, How we are joined to Christ. That's a mystery. How we are put into Christ, into his body, into his church. That's a mystery. How we are grafted in is a mystery. All we know is that we're in there. And the question I explored is how. And I don't get all the how. Scripture has little to say directly on this subject. But we are told We are baptized into one body by the Spirit. When you study the word by and you study the word into, into is not in the best of manuscripts. The word by is the worst used word that many say we can use. And that scripture there in Corinthians 12, 13 is interpreted sometimes two different ways. One is that we've been baptized into the Spirit and that's it. 
And then the question arises, well, how do I get into Christ? Because I'm just in the Spirit. I'm submerged in the Spirit. I already know that Pentecost took place and the Spirit came and I was baptized in the Spirit. And we see the evidence of that when those are water baptized. We see a continuation of that taking place when we go to Acts chapter 10 with Cornelius. But yet what he shows for, the same tongue, and Peter says, is there any reason we should not baptize them with water? Because his assumption is the same experience that they've had, now Cornelius and his family has had. But they didn't see it. There was no fiery tongues. There was no mighty rushing wind. But yet, the evidence of just speaking in tongues said the same thing that happened to us. And God is not a respecter of persons. Is there any reason we should not baptize them with water? So you find that all in Acts chapter 10 with Cornelius. And what takes place is this. The same spirit that they received on Pentecost, which is the gift that has been promised unto us, is given to them. That same experience happens with us. The moment we believe on Jesus and accept Jesus, the Holy Spirit comes into our life. We don't see it per se. We don't feel it per se. But it takes place. The second experience that takes place is simply this. The Holy Spirit places us into the body of Christ. It's the only other explanation that we have to get us there. That the Holy Spirit now puts us in the body of Christ or in the church of Christ. He places us. Now, some people had trouble with that then. Like I said, that is a verse that you can wrestle with on either side. But come down to verse 18 in 1 Corinthians 12. Because there's no wrestling with this one. And look what it says now. In some translations, it says that God has set us in the body. That God has set us. Well, somebody takes you and sits you somewhere, it wasn't you. And because this whole chapter, per se, in here, or this whole section, is talking about the Holy Spirit, when it says God... Is God, the Holy Spirit, doing this? 
understanding this principle. One don't act without the other. We're all in agreement in what is done. So take verse 18 here now. But in fact, God has arranged or set or placed the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them what? To be. That he's placed you in the body of Christ where he wants you to be. He set you in the body of Christ where he wants you to be. He has joined you to the body of Christ where he wants you to be. He has baptized you in the body of Christ where he wants you to be. If you back through the whole process. Why don't you take a couple things with you. Just did a lot of reading on this. And the big problem, we don't know what to do with the word baptize in that 1 Corinthians 12, 13. Is it baptism totally into the spirit and then we're just in the body of Christ? Or is it telling us the spirit in whom we are baptized in takes us and baptizes us into the body of Christ? If that be so, then we have the baptism of water. We have the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And we have the baptism of being put into Christ or into his church. They're putting the glasses back on. I know if I'm having a hard time seeing, some of y'all are going to have it very different. And Donna, don't come tell me you didn't see it. <laughs> I couldn't make it larger. <laughs> and I know some of other ones have told me, I can't see it. <laughs> uh, in the church, which is the body of Christ, is the constituting power. He is its life, and without him, it is nothing. Through the Spirit, he maintains those operations which impart vitality to all the institutions and agents of the church. By one Spirit are we all baptized into one body. By one Spirit we are all baptized into this one body. Talking about Cornelius again. It's not so much a second blessing. And some people hold, boy, I'm filled with the Spirit as a second blessing. When you're born again, you have all the Spirit you're going to have. The question is, how much are you yielding? 
how much authority do you give the Holy Spirit? Because he doesn't force his way into your life. That's why the scripture tells us to yield to him. That's why the scripture tells us don't quench him. Don't tell him to shut up. He's talking to you. Shut up. I don't want to hear you. He tells us not to quench him. Yield to him. And the question is, I'm filled with the Spirit, but I may not be filled with the Spirit in my attitude, my actions, and how I'm living because I've only surrendered this much to him rather than this much. There was no second blessing. This then represents the normal condition of things under the present dispensation. Men believe in Jesus as King and Savior and are baptized by the Spirit into a relationship. Now, he doesn't use so much in Christ, but in a relationship with who? With Christ. But we're baptized into that relationship with Christ. That begins, that begins the hour of their new birth, and that is which they become members of the Catholic Church or the Universal Church of Jesus Christ. This is a little harder for me to see. And, you know, in my books, I have a, pro- a problem of underlining and putting stuff around, but I just do that in my books and so forth. Christ is the door of the church. In other words, you don't get in unless you come through who? Jesus Christ. But he doesn't place you where he wants you in the church. The Holy Spirit does that. But you can't get to the Holy Spirit without coming through who? Christ. That's why Christ says, boy, you have not my spirit, you're what? None of mine. Makes it very clear. But if you have my spirit, he's going to work in your life. He's going to place you where he wants you to be. He's going to assign you a gift that's not your gift, but his gift. And we're going to talk more about that in the coming weeks. Because we need to understand those gifts are not mine. They're his. And he uses them at his leisure, not mine. Jesus Christ is the door of the church, and men, through belief in him, pass therein too. The Spirit baptizing them into the living union with him. Another way of explaining that through the Spirit, we go into a living union with the Lord Jesus Christ. It's a togetherness, an intimacy that is there that was not there before. That's the one I wanted. 
Definition. The bab baptizing work of the Holy Spirit may be defined as the work whereby the Spirit places the believer into union with Christ and, and into union with other believers. Now catch that. Remember what I said earlier? Before the Holy Spirit came, these men, yes, they loved the Lord, but they were not united together. They were not tied together. They were not family together. Good friends, yes. Know a little bit about each other, yes. Has spent some time with each other, yes. But we have not been tied or yoked together until the Holy Spirit comes. The Spirit places the believer into union with Christ and into a union with one with other believers in the body of Christ. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is unique to the church age. The basis reference is 1 Corinthians 12, 13, which states, For by one Spirit we are all baptized into one body, whether Jew or Greek. Whether slave, free, we are all made to drink of the one Spirit. That word drink also has different meaning. For some, the interpretation is the drinking of the blood of Christ. Because the Spirit did not drink or shed his blood. It was Christ who shed his blood. Other interpretation is that we all share in the power of the Holy Spirit. We all drink of his power. We all can be immersed in his power and his strength. That this ministry of the Spirit began at Pentecost and can be seen by comparing Acts 1 5, which indicates, boy, where were they at? Are you going to build the kingdom now? Are you going to do this now? Is this going to happen? They're still thinking where? Earthly. And then a change takes place when the Spirit of God comes. All this takes place, and this is the work at Pentecost in Acts 2. The baptizing work did not occur in the Old Testament. It is unique to the church age, which began at Pentecost. The baptism of the Holy Spirit includes all believers. Not some, but all in this age. The emphasis that all are baptized by the Holy Spirit is stated in several passages. In 1 Corinthians 12, 13, it indicates we are all baptized into this one body, the body of Christ. 
Now, this author helps explain, and I can't put it all on there, but he says, up to the moment of the coming of the Spirit, they were concurrent of individuals, a company of units having a bond of sympathy in their common love to Christ. But no actual, look what's not as really actual here, because that's what's important to catch. No actual, vital, necessary, eternal union. What was missing, he says, was this eternal union with Christ. This permanent relationship with Christ. This engrafting into Christ. This joining Christ. This being baptized or put into Christ or this body of Christ. He said that was missing. But after Pentecost, it becomes a reality. And we see the difference. And he goes on, he says, when the Spirit came, the concurrence of individuals, now look what he said, were fused into a unity. That in Christians, we all have this same mind to glorify the Lord Jesus Christ. We all draw from this same power, the Spirit of the living God. There is a unity that ties us together because He has put us in the same family, the same body, the same universal church that ties us together. He says He's fused. He used the word fused. I'm fused in my back (laughs) with a couple of screws and so that keeps me upright. It's that joining something together that is fused into a unity. The church was founded. The Catholic Church was created by the baptism of the Spirit and there was no church in the sense until the Spirit came and from then until now the church has continued. God alone knows the limits of his own church. It today consists of those in heaven and on earth who have by this same spirit been baptized into the sacred unity of the living Christ. It was when the spirit fell, the individual disciples of Jesus were transformed. So go with me to 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and we'll close out with this. And it's a verse also that has to be taken by faith. I never sensed myself being picked up and put somewhere. Paul said he visited the third heaven. He said, in the body, out of the body. I don't know, but I went there. 
There are things that happen in our life spiritually. We can't explain it. We have a little bit of it. And that's all God gives us here is a little bit. I don't know how he gets the spirit into my life. But I'm so glad that he did. I'm so glad that when I do something wrong, the tears are not just of guilt, but of grieving him and hurting him. I'm so glad that somehow the spirit brings me to confession. Because some things we may do, we may not see them wrong, but the Holy Spirit says it's wrong. And correction has to be made. And sometimes we feel we're, we're doing the right thing and we're just in doing what we're doing. And the Spirit says, no, that's not how Jesus would have handled that. And I have to confess that and deal with that and put it under the blood of Christ and correct it. I don't understand that, but it is. And I'm so glad as Roscoe took me to meet with these brothers that they were not strangers. We sat at that table and we just talked about the Word of God and we just talked about God and they all talked about what God is doing in our lives and in the ministry of our lives. We just had a fantastic time. Just talk. We sat there for about two and a half hours just talking about the Lord. And I'm so glad I'm in the body and as brothers, we could just sit there and talk about ministry, the roughness of ministry, the challenges of ministry. I don't know how he placed me into this fellowship of his body, but I'm so glad he did. And all he gives me is this. For we were all baptized by one spirit into one body, whether Jew or Greek, whether free or death. All I know is this. I didn't put me in there. It took something else other than me to put me there. It took something else. And that I'm there. And I praise him for it. Amen. Father, we thank you, Lord, that even in Galatians 3, you confirm that we are baptized into the body of Christ or have been put into the body of Christ. We're so thankful that we are because we can't put ourselves in. We really don't know how, Lord, to put ourselves in a right relationship with Jesus, but it is the work of the Holy Spirit in us and through us that puts us in that right relationship. And we recognize, Lord, that we are failures in so many areas. But you bring correction into our lives that we might truly glorify our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. It is your work in our lives 
that oftentimes, Lord, we don't fully understand. And as Melvin said this morning, which is so true, all theological statements will not bring healing to us. It is the study of man, studying our God, and sharing with others. But Lord, I thank you that in salvation is a personal relationship. That Lord, that you can speak to each and every heart. And you're the one, oh God, who has to allow us to know that we are in your spirit, we are in your church, and it is not a work of man, but it is a divine work of Knowing where we are sometimes will dictate how we live. When I'm in another country, it dictates sometimes how I live because of the rules and the laws of that country. It causes me to be a little bit more aware of who's around me. And because I'm in the body of Christ and because... I've been baptized in the spirit of the Holy Spirit. It caused me to become more aware of my spiritual awareness of how I should live as a member of the body of Christ, as a member of his church. Lord, would you minister to us? Would you challenge us? Paul says he cries and he weeps because some no longer walk with the Lord. It's not easy walking with Jesus. It's not easy following the Lord. It is not something that can be apprehended or performed in the flesh. It has to be completely done by the work of God and the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. Would you minister to us? Would you talk to us? Would you counsel us? That we might know this is not an intellectual thing we're dealing with. It is a spiritual thing of the living God. And we'll give you the praise in Jesus' name. As we prepare to give, we give him thanks and we give him praise. Because what we do is an act of our worship. It is also an act of who we trust and who we believe. You may say, well, I don't have anything to give and I've given all that I can give. Well, you and the Lord knows that. You and the Lord know what he's laid on your heart. If he hasn't laid anything on your heart, then you're not going to give anything, and it will be just of your own thought. But ask yourself, what guides you in your giving? Really, what guides you in your giving? Father, 
we thank you that we have an opportunity to give back to you a portion of that which you have blessed us with. And we recognize, Lord, that what we have was not provided in a sense by us, but has been provided by you. For it is a witness and a testimony that, Lord, as quick as we have gained it, we can lose it all. And the Bahamas is a testimony to that. Many of the people today don't even have a place to go to work to because it's not there any longer. So they won't be receiving a paycheck. Many of them will wait to be able to step into a new job with is picking up debris or rather is rebuilding, but the job may be different. And Lord, we just want to thank you. No matter what our situation is, we can look to you to provide. And we're thankful for what David said. He's never seen the righteous forsaken or begging for bread. Therefore, we give with a confidence that you're going to provide for us and you're going to take care of us because we are your children. Thank you for this privilege that you give us to give back to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I hope that you were able to catch something that you can take home and chew on. I hope that you were able to pick up on something that you can say, boy, I need to go study this further. I need to look into it deeper. I just don't want to waste time with my voice. As uh, one young lady told me, I don't have a breath to waste. I need every one of them. But I hope you don't believe just what Pastor Brown says, because I'm not here to persuade you on what I believe. But you yourself being a Berean, and you go search it out. Now, my wife, I love her dear, and she's not here. I hope. She loves to read. And she reads that Bible back, forward, and everything in it. The difference between us, I study it. Catch the difference. (laughs) 
there's one thing of really reading it, and Melvin brought that out in Sunday school class, that you study it. You study the words. You search the words. Her and I, we were talking about Mark 16, the last part of it. And I, I believe it. Okay, it's good you believe it. But it's not in our earlier manuscripts, and we know it was added too. Well, I'm not going to tell nobody that. Are you telling me Elaine's still in the building? I'm going to be in trouble. Y'all pray for me. (laughs) But the thing is simply this. (laughs) Study the word for yourself. Study it. And let God be the one who convicts you. And be able to always give an answer for the hope that lieth in you. Amen? Amen. Father, would you send forgiveness before me? And would you, O God, bless us as your people? We want to be students of your word. And we want to keep digging. We want to keep searching. We want to keep asking the where, the why, the how, and the when. We want to be excellent investigators of your word. And Lord, thank you, Lord, that there are those, Lord, that even sometimes set two different views before us. Because, Lord, each one is trying 